Hello and welcome to the Parent Perspective podcast brought to you by Amazing Apprenticeships and Not Going to Uni. I'm Rachel Burden and this is the podcast that gives you, the parents and carers, everything you need to know to support your child through the next phase of their life once they finish school. From apprenticeships to T-levels, traineeships, work experience, whatever it is, we can support you to funding your choice, finding out information, where to go for that information, and how you can support your teenager. We've got it covered. Plus, we're talking to you, the parents, to answer your questions, and we're going to give you guidance as to the role that you have to play over the next couple of years. So coming up in episode five, it's all about the emotional support for you and your child, what you can do to support your kids when they step out of the nest, what sort of challenges they face, how you can help them when they don't get the results they want, and how can you best cope with all the emotions as well. And with me to provide all the answers, I hope, or at least we can discuss it amongst ourselves, Prue Day from Not Going to Uni, Dexter Hutchings from The Apprentice Voice, which works with apprentices and employers to develop and enhance apprenticeship programmes, and Ender Egan, the Head of Young People's Programmes at Mental Health UK. Welcome to all of you. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> Just checking that you're all there. Hi. Nice to have you with us today. I think this is a really um, exciting but also nerve-wracking time potentially of any teenager's life. And I've spoken on this podcast before about how I have four children, all of whom are incredibly different, one of whom is dead set on going to university, so it's dead easy for her. She's off to do A-levels and she knows what she'll do for the next five years of her life, pretty much. Uh, the next child coming along really has no idea. And the other two, well, you know, we'll work that out as and when they get to this stage. But when you don't really know what to do, it can feel like you're sort of staring into the abyss. And there are quite big decisions to be made. So, Prue, what's your general advice as to how to cope with that if you're 15 or 16 years old? I think the good thing about being 15 or 16 is you've got the internet. And I think finding information using the internet is much easier now than it's ever been. There are resources around. For instance, we've got an ambassador scheme at Not Going to Uni, which um, features young people working in industry from a range of backgrounds where you can actually um, follow their journey, learn about their experiences, and um, you kind of get to know where they've come from and what they're doing, and look at the kind of sectors that you might think that you're interested in, um, hear their stories, what it's like to be a day in the life of, of them working, really, and that should give you some inspiration. Dexter, can you remember back to being 15? You're not that old, but what was going through your head at that age? Yeah, I think for me at 15, it's kind of that... that thought process where you're you're trying to work out exactly what you want to do and actually you, you normally don't know uh and you're kind of testing the waters in many different areas uh for 15 at 15 I was yeah kind of testing different things out uh trying to, to find what was best for me um and actually it was a very frantic time because I didn't know and you feel like you have to know um and I think that the one bit of information I'd probably say right now is that it's, it's okay not to know you will work it out eventually uh, take your time and it's, it's more important working out what you don't want to do rather than knowing exactly what you want to do. Yeah that's good advice actually and that's in some ways an easier first step isn't it. So just take us through then those years from I don't know 15 to 18 and, and what and how you decided 
you would do in the end. Yeah, so for me, I was adamant I wanted to be a vet, um, which I'm certainly not a vet uh, now. So yeah, a lot's changed since then. So uh, from the age of 14, I was getting jobs uh, based around working with animals. Uh, so yeah, my very first job at full team was working at, at local stables um, and I was kind of gearing up to, to go into university to, to become a vet. Um, and then I got to A-levels and decided to take all three sciences and couldn't stand it. Really, really hated it um, and decided that it wasn't the path I wanted to take. I knew then that I didn't want to carry on doing the three sciences at A-levels. Um, and it gave me a very strong inclination that actually I didn't want to be doing a science based uh, subject at university as well. So from there, I went into to working full time for a little bit uh, and then started looking at apprenticeships. And that's when I came across my apprenticeship uh, in digital marketing. So at 17, I started that apprenticeship um, and I was very lucky to, to find that role and to kind of enjoy it straight away. Uh, and it was almost luck that I fell into that role. Uh, there wasn't too much thinking behind how I chose that role in all honesty I wish I had a, a perfect solution but it kind of just worked out and I think that that is the, the case for most people is that actually it does just kind of work out whatever it is uh, pushes you down the route that you might uh, actually need to take uh, and then from there I did end up going to university so I've done a degree apprenticeship with the employer that I've done my first apprenticeship with uh, and it's, it's worked out okay so far I'm happy and enjoying what I'm doing so yeah it's worked out well. That's absolutely fantastic. And you say it's luck, but sometimes it's also just about keeping an eye out for those opportunities, isn't it? So when they present themselves, you think, oh, I'll give it a go, even if you don't know exactly where that, that's all going to lead to. It's a great story, actually, really good. And we'll come back to that whole issue of um, feeling that you can change your mind as well, you know, that the course for the rest of your life isn't set for you. And that's that. And Ender, though, I'm interested to hear from you. Do you think this generation of teenagers, and we've talked about them a lot over the last couple of years, has a particular challenge because of the pandemic, because all the normal rules of life were slow, slightly thrown up in the air and everything feels perhaps a little bit more precarious? I don't know. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm really glad your first question wasn't asking me to remember when I was 15. Um, it definitely has. You know, <laughs> we'll come back to that. Definitely, yeah, yeah look, give me some time. Um, it, it definitely has. COVID has had you know, the, a, a huge impact and I think... Um, it's had a huge impact, I think, on, on families and parenting in general as well. Um, I think, you know, the, the sort of conversation around emotional well-being and mental health um, have actually moved out of the school, which seemed to be the first place where we were having these conversations, into the home. And I think that was really accelerated during COVID um, and during homeschooling and when parents were having to, to be able to provide that support, you know, for young people. Um, we're still feeling it a lot inside school. We deliver um, resilience-based programs, so supporting young people around you know, the challenges that life brings. Life isn't always going to be plain sailing, um, so let's work with you know, how you cope with it your way when it doesn't go the way you were hoping it would go. Um, and the conversations we're still having in schools are the sort of you know, the, the hangover from what's happened with COVID, still a lot of fear around what may happen in the future. Um, and I think... You know, as, as you touched on, Rachel, this sort of rites of passage was removed. This, this sort of, there was this pathway a lot of people felt like they had. You go to school, you do your exams, and you make a decision where you go next. And I think a lot of that was, was removed from people. Um, even preparing to go to the workplace, even preparing to go to university, um, people not being able to graduate from school. So all of those things have had, have had an impact on, you know, on people and, and their mental health and their well-being. Um, and particularly around exams as well, I think that the sort of normal structure around how you sat an exam 
um, and how you did your exams was removed from, from, from young people. And I think that, you know, that has an impact. But um, it certainly hasn't moved on. I think we've had a period of stability in sort of education over the last sort of five or six weeks. But there is, you know, that's not a long, that's not a long time. Um, we're still sort of waiting to see what, what the sort of next will happen over the next few months. Yeah. And, and if you are giving advice to um, those particular, I suppose, um, year 11, year 12, year 13 children who are a bit stressed and aren't totally sure about exactly what they want to do, are there any sort of basic um, mechanisms they can go back to just to help them sort of think through if not to make final decisions but to kind of even just work out what the right process is for getting to the decision that's right for them sure and and you know one of one of the foundations of of what we do is just encouraging people to have curiosity is just to really think and be curious about what might be out there um it doesn't mean you have to make a life commitment to some of your thinking right now it doesn't mean that you have to make um any sort of major decisions but you can be curious about what is out there and, and, you know, encouraging yourself towards that. Um, I think another really important thing to, for free young people to wear is the sort of the role of the inner critic and the inner coach in themselves um, and just not being too difficult on themselves and just, you know, challenging their inner critic that, you know, they will not be able to achieve this, they will not be successful with this, to sort of challenge and look at scenarios where they may well be successful around something. And if Dexter wanted to be, you know, a vet and to sort of look at how he was going to be able to achieve that and get to, you know, to, to get to doing that. And I think that's what's really important. And, I think, you know, we're all very good at our inner critic. Um, and I think it's about, you know, it's about turning up that inner coach as well um, and understanding there are challenges, but how you get around those challenges as opposed to avoiding the challenges, because I think it's, you know, they are there. Life, life does bring them up to us. So I think it's about preparing ourselves around it. Um, and I think it's, you know, there's quite a lot around a sort of just a growth mindset in general. I think it's just having this mindset and, and being curious about what, what is out there and um, trying new things and giving new things a go. It's just really important. Advice, yeah, curiosity is a great word, isn't it? And and it's a really sort of easy um, uh, motto, I think, just to just to kind of refer back to and, and, and go back to. Um, and Prue, what advice could you give parents who who might be getting stressed themselves about what their child's going to do next and not really being sure, or are they making the right decision? They might be like Dexter's parents and Dexter's saying, I want to be a vet. And the parent might be saying, no, that's not the right thing for you, but you've got to stand back a bit and and let them work it out for themselves. What advice would you give? I think it's important to note that for many young people, this can be the first time they're making important decisions about affected, you know, decisions that can affect their future. So, um, I think empathy is key. So being that, you know, person to listen to them, try and be as understanding as possible and maybe relate it back to some of your own experiences. So recording your own past experience, sharing your own memories of setbacks that can help build connection. Um, You know, remembering how rejection might have made you feel at the time, what lessons you learned, what coping mechanisms did you put in place and how did your experience change the way that you kind of approach things moving forward? I think encouraging young people to accept their negative emotions, kind of sitting with them, acknowledging their thoughts and reframing their thinking really gives them the tools to cope with future events. And making sure that your child is focused on their well-being during stressful times. So, you know, continuing the stuff that they really enjoy to do outside of education, 
um, you know, getting enough fresh air, eating well, exercise and maintaining positive friendships as well. I think all of those are really useful ways um, to support your child. Absolutely. Yeah. And what about dealing with disappointment then? Let's let's address that. Um, either you're applying for a course or an apprenticeship scheme, you don't get it or you need certain exam results and they don't quite come off for you. Dexter, any advice and clearly you sort of well, I don't know how far you got doing your A-levels, but you obviously got to a point where you thought, oh, I'm, you know, I am not cut out for this. How do you deal with that sort of disappointment in yourself, I guess? Yeah, so I think for me with my A-levels, it's very much about enjoyment levels. So I think the, the reason I saw a decline in my achievement was because I really wasn't enjoying it. And I think that that's something that we need to think about actually when we're looking for a job as well, is, is what do we enjoy? What do we love doing? What do we want to get up and do every single day? Because... Actually, you're not going to enjoy a job if you if you don't love the, the thing that's kind of ingrained in that role. Um, and, you know, you don't have to think about things like what do people see as being a really good job? What pays really well? If you're thinking about those kind of things, you're going to make a decision that's actually not based around what you enjoy doing as a person. Uh, in terms of how I handled things uh, like the applications for apprenticeships that I didn't get, um, it, it, it is a challenging situation uh, and it can be very easy to look at it in a negative light and think, why didn't I get that role? Um, and in some aspects, I could see clear correlation between why I didn't get them. And in others, I was like, I thought I'd performed really well, thought I'd interviewed extremely well and, and almost thought I had the job already and I didn't get it. Um, and they're, they're very hard to, to handle. Um, but I think all you can learn is that actually that, you know, they're not judging you on a person. They're kind of, they're looking at, holistically the, the type of person they need in that role and it's not necessarily uh looking at you as a as, a, as an individual um and judging you based on your personality but looking at what they need in a person for that role um so i think that's one of the first things you can do and then the second thing you can do is kind of think how you can actually get ahead of the competition so uh, a lot of employers aren't necessarily looking just at qualifications anymore they're looking at other things as well so what can you be doing on the side to make sure that you're a really strong candidate so for me my background was digital marketing um could you create an instagram account that was showing that you can actually do digital marketing what can you do to stand out against other candidates i think that's probably the approach i'd take mm. I mean, I guess we've all had instances in our lives where we've changed our mind about something or faced a setback because of disappointment. Um, Ender, I'll come to you and then I'll come to you, Prue. I, I don't know if you can sort of talk about personally how you dealt with that or how you advise young people to be resilient in those moments. Yeah, I think, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier, the, the most important thing about resilience is, um, you know, we, we, and we teach resilience and we don't expect somebody to, to leave school and be expected to use that resilience tool there and then you know it's it's, it's a sort of tool for life um and i think my my role with that has always been is is that sort of growth mindset that i have that not everything will go a particular way but as long as i can prepare myself to think of other options when that situation doesn't go a particular way um that's when my head can sort of stay above water um if I get consumed by disappointment and if I get consumed by things not going my way, it can be quite hard to get out of that mindset, you know. And I think it's just very much about um, opening up that, you know, that mind to it. I think, um, you know, a broader concern about, you know, some of this is we are categorically with schools throughout the UK and young people told that exam pressure is, is the biggest stressor in, in their life. It has the biggest impact on their mental health. So... And that's from a school in the Highlands in Scotland to a school in, in you know, in inner, inner um, city, in inner city anywhere in England. But I just think it's really important that we get 
those conversations about disappointment start early on and an understanding around disappointment starts early on. Um, it's quite hard to talk to somebody about disappointment right after the a situation because they're very much in it at that time. So I think that there's just a real role to be played about preparing um, for disappointment and actually, you know, looking at the other options that come out of it. So I think that's, you know, my... You know, I'm resilient sometimes and sometimes I'm not resilient. But I think what I do is equip myself with the tools that, you know, can support me um, sometimes to get around situations that are disappointing and challenging because we all have them. Yeah, actually, that's really good advice for parents as well, sort of managing that for parents and carers with with their teenagers. And I find myself really torn between, um, you know, come on, sit down, put the work in. You know, you'll be disappointed if your results don't reflect you know, what you can actually achieve, although I don't think he actually will be. I don't think he gives us stuff, if I'm really honest. <laughs> so you're trying to provide the motivation. But at the same time, you don't want them to feel that terrible pressure, like their life will end if it doesn't all work out that way. And you should back off a bit. And I find that balance really hard. And I think it's it's like, you know, we, we always, talk, when we're talking to parents and carers, we always call it the four Ps. So it's just, it's like plan what you're going to say, because sometimes we go into these conversations not knowing what we're going to say. And I think it's planning. The second P is planning when's a good time to have these conversations. Um, it's not if somebody is watching television or doing something else, you know, that's taken their interest. Um, it's plan how you open up the conversation, because sometimes they're not easy. You know, they're not easy conversations. And then I think it's how you close down. What happens afterwards? Um, I think it's it's really important to not have a conversation that can be quite emotionally charged and full of disappointment and then not follow up with it afterwards. Um, so I think it's really important that those sort of things are stuck to when we go into those conversations. So what you're going to say, when you're going to say it, how you're going to say it, and then a, a what next. That's that's a really helpful checklist, actually. Prue, what about you? Uh, moments in your life where, particularly I think when you're a teenager, they feel so sort of cataclysmic don't they if something goes a bit wrong or it's not absolutely as planned or your results don't quite come off what advice would you have someone once told me that rejection isn't a full stop and I think at the time I, I was probably late teens when when it was mentioned to me and I kind of just shrugged it off but actually with hindsight now many years later um, it's really true isn't it um, I think it's important to remember that rejection is not an end to a dream it doesn't define you and it's not personal even though it feels that way at the time it's okay to do whatever you need to do to deal with the rejection you know people cope in different ways and we've all or majority of us I expect have all dealt with rejection at one point or other in our lives so kind of feel your feelings and maybe just change your mindset to, to work out that, you know, rejection can actually be, uh, you know, put us in a, a stronger position to achieve, you know, to make new dreams and find new passions and set ourselves new targets. You know, I think remembering that you're not alone in it really does help. I remember back to a particular experience that I had when I was kind of setting out really quite early in my career. I'd done a couple of sales jobs and I'd applied for a job that was more money and was uh, at a higher level and I really, really wanted it. And I went for the interview and, and the feedback was that I performed well at interview, but I was turned down for the job because I didn't have enough knowledge of golf to be able to um, engage their mainly male prospects. Um, I don't think that's an HR 
um, initiative really that would be taking off in 2022. But back then, I remember being absolutely <laughs> really gutted that I hadn't got this job and berating myself for the fact that I didn't know anything about golf when, and actually, I don't even know anything about golf now, all these years later. But, you know, I remember just thinking, if only I'd researched it, if only I'd done better. And, you know, sometimes that's just a uh, you know, a way to take things really personally. And actually, sometimes rejection is, you know, it can lead to better things. So I didn't get that particular job, but I applied for a job in a contact centre where I'd started and within a year I was training the new staff and within 18 months I was I was leading the whole the whole department, you know, 30 people. So sometimes things happen for a reason. I think if it's meant for you, it's, you know, it, it won't go by you. I, I try and live with, by that mantra, really. Um, so, yeah, not knowing enough about golf didn't get me the, the job of my dreams, but um, was the start of my career because I, I started off in, in sales at that point. And, um, and here I am all these years later, you know, still doing what I'm doing. Dexter, I'm I'm really fascinated then by by your journey and and the sort of switch that you made. Um, but from veterinary to digital marketing, and that might be something that, you know, when you're 15, 16, 17, you don't know a huge amount about. Just describe how that happened. Yeah, so for me, like I said earlier, it was it was really on this enjoyment level. I wasn't enjoying the education I was going through, uh, and I understood that I wasn't going to enjoy five or six years at a vet school uh, in university studying. Um, so yeah, it was kind of that that light bulb moment where I was like, this isn't what I want to do for the next however many years. I, I knew that I'd loved working from my time in work. Um, and I looked at the skills that I had already. So for me, you know, most people in our generation too, I'd grown up on on social media and involved in tech with, with, with kind of some, uh, in some aspect. So for me, it, it seemed like an obvious next step. Uh, to many degrees I, I looked at the job roles that were available for digital marketing roles um, and could see some things that I enjoyed within them and then for me it was really looking at the type of company I wanted to work at as well so a lot of the time we really think about the type of role we want to work in but actually if you think about the organization you want to work in as well as another level so uh, for me I wanted to, to help other people in my situation so I joined a, a education foundation called the Edge Foundation um, and they were actually helping other people uh, with vocational education. So for me, I could see the correlation between where I was in my life, struggling in education to the role. Um, and that kind of fitted quite nicely. And again, it's very similar to the role I'm in now, now that I've moved roles. Um, the, the company is very holistic. The way we think about working is very open. Um, and that suits me quite a lot. It's a very collaborative company. And that's that's something that I enjoy. So it's thinking about what you value as a person as well. Um, and how that fits into an organisation rather than just a role as well. And that I think that opens more pathways to young people beyond just going, this is the only role I can do. If you get into an organisation that really cares about you, they'll help you on discovering what role suits you best. Prue, do you, do you support a lot of young people who, who have changed their minds? along the way we do we do support many young people who either don't know what they really want to do or have changed this you know, started down one route and changed their mind so we tend to encourage young people to um to be really open um you know there's a there's a range of um kind of taster days and virtual open evenings so you know if you're looking at kind of sixth form or college as one of your options there tends to be virtual um you know kind of taster evenings that it's worth having a look at you can go around and you can visit sixth forms and colleges 
lots of organisations, so businesses have taster days and, and welcome young people in to show them kind of what the workplace is about, what the sector's about. So that's always worth looking at. And we would encourage young people to speak to a range of, of other people. So friends of your parents, um, you know, siblings of your friends, uh, resources online in particular, kind of blogs written by young people that are, have either experienced something very similar to you or have changed change route halfway through and found something that they find more satisfying. There's a lot of industry ambassadors around, so young people working in, in various sectors that like to share their experience, what it's like to, to do a day in the life of a kind of, you know, one of those roles. And also think about what you enjoy outside of education. So what motivates you? What do you enjoy doing? What are the transferable skills there? You know, whether it's gaming or horse riding or you're captain of a football team, you know, look at opportunities related to those things. But keep an open mind um, and really pick the brains of anybody around you. This is the time to start networking. You know, networking will see you really well in the future. Yeah. And Enda, if... If someone really is struggling, and it can be hard to talk to parents, and it can certainly be hard to talk to teachers as well, are there any resources that young people can go to to get advice on on these kinds of life decisions, or just to sort of help them build the tools to navigate their way through them? Yeah, I think I mean there's we have a parenting hub which is part of Mental Health UK, and on on that parenting hub there are. Resort, lots of resources because there's there's so many out there i think sometimes it can be sort of navigating what works for you um i think there's some you know organized mental health uk um does a lot of work to support young people um young minds does a lot of work to support young people as well um and there are a list you know there are a list of catch it is a very good app that young people um can use and find very useful um what's up is another app that we would we would strongly recommend um i think there are also, you know, depending on the local authority of particular areas, um, there are also lots of, you know, resources that are available to people through, through the NHS and um, assistance like that. I think what we have seen, um, particularly over the last sort of 10 years, is is the provision inside school has really has really helped um, in terms of mental health and support for young people. Um, without doubt, there's a way to go with that, but I think there definitely has been, um, you know, significant improvement in that. Um, I also think... One of the things, you know, we regularly get feedback from young people is, is their friends, um, is, is speaking to their friends. Um, I think any mental health programme worth its weight in gold right now supports a young person to be able to support another young person. Um, and, and, you know, not expecting young people to be psychologists, psychiatrists, but I think uh, being able to talk to their peers about what's actually going on with them, I think is a really supportive, um, a really supportive thing. I think it's what we get from parents and carers as well. I think the f- the feedback that peer level support um, from parents and carers, um, you know, talking to somebody else who might be going through a similar experience, who might have had the same conversation, is just hugely helpful. Um, you know, at times it's more helpful than downloading a resource and going through that resource on your own. If you can have a live conversation with somebody who who has experienced that, um, I think that that really helps. But I think um, there, there are lots of resources out there for young people. I think it's just about finding the one that works for them um, because not all ones, you know, it's different ones that work for different people. Um, and just finding people you can have those conversations with. And that may be your friend, that may be an older sibling, and that may be somebody like that. So it's just, it's just about um, you're being open to having those conversations with different people as well. 
That's such a good point, actually. And Dexter, you're nodding along to that. Use your friends, your peers as your support. Yeah, 100%. So during that time in sixth form, when I was kind of struggling with my education, my mental health plummeted um, and I felt extremely alone. And actually, it was only when I reached out to people, I understood that I wasn't alone. And for a period of time, I didn't speak to anyone and it was it was very isolating. Um, but yeah, the minute I spoke, the first person I spoke to was my mum. She had obviously noticed changes in my behaviour and, and kind of opened that discussion with me. Um, and her approaching me made that conversation a lot easier. Uh, and then I seeked medical advice from doctors. And then from there, I've been speaking to friends all the time. Like me and my friends make it a, a common thing every time we see each other now. Kind of just make sure we really ask how each other are. Like I think it's, it's a very British thing. How are you? I'm good. Um, and then we just kind of accept that answer. But actually dig a little bit deeper. You know, there's always someone close to you that's struggling with their mental health right now. So it's definitely worth digging in that little bit deeper and finding out if you can support them in any way. Um, and usually that's just through being open, transparent and talking to them like a like a friend as you are. Um, it's as easy as that, really. Yeah, that's such an important message. And do you feel happier in yourself now, Dexter? And how how does that sort of compare to perhaps where you felt even before you started your A-levels, whether you felt kind of you fitted into the school system or not? I don't know. Yeah, so, so, so the big switch for me was was when I really start, started to struggle academically. Like for me, that's where I really saw the the big hit in my my mental health. Um, and I think that throughout school, it's all, it's all very short sighted. It's always what's the next step? How do I get there? And we're kind of used to that feeling of failure if we don't quite make that next step. It's almost like we're setting ourselves up for failure because we're we're so set on that next step. But you know, now I take a, a much bigger look at, at, at what the future might hold. Um, but yeah, for, for me, it was really speaking out and, and making sure that I talk quite regularly to the people closest to me about my mental health that made the biggest difference. Um, certainly, that's the, that's the one piece of advice that I can say will work for everyone is, is that, that little piece. I wish I had the, the full solution for everyone, but I know that that definitely helps. That's brilliant advice. And, and I think as well, there are some children, for whatever reason, who find actual school quite difficult the way it's structured be it because they don't have any interest because of neurodiversity whatever it might be and actually when you come away from that and find the next phase of your life and it may not be what you end up doing forever but but suddenly life begins to make a bit more sense and you can feel happier because there's absolutely no doubt that school is a one size fits all but it absolutely doesn't fit everyone does it Ender what would you say to that yeah absolutely absolutely not and I think um I think we definitely saw that um during Covid I definitely what we saw the return to school was really challenging for a lot of young people um and I because it was such a, a rite of passage you went to school and it was in that structure and it continued that way there was never you know in our lifetime a period when when it stopped and all of a sudden it stopped and people went home. Um, a lot of the conversations we were having were, oh, how are you coping with being home? Well, actually, I'm much happier <laughs> because I'm surrounded by people. I understand, you know, they understand me. Uh, um, I'm not inside the system. So, you know, the, the way the school works doesn't actually isn't for, for everyone. Um, I think what's really key to that is is ensuring that teachers are, you know, conscious and aware of that. Um, you know, you spoke about neurodiversity. There's a lot of conversation going on at the moment about how that needs to improve, um, how the education system needs to be more aware of that happening um, and what, what's going on and equipping you know, people to be able to, to, to work with it. Um, and I think we are, you know, it is really important that 
that teachers and and they are i think most mostly conscious of um you know it, it's an individual outlook towards education and towards the structure of education and if you don't feel like you are the same as the people in your class you're going to find it much more difficult um you're going to find it much more you know harder to relate and i think going back to what extra was speaking about was you're going to find it much harder to open up and ask for help because if you're feeling isolated you know in that way um so i think what we need to do is to put in as many sort of safety valves as possible, and that's working with teachers and work with the education system, but also working with parents and carers. Um, I've been working in the mental health space a long time, and the role of parents and carers has become much more significant than it was 10 years ago, because I think so much of these discussions are happening at home, um, and it's just a really important... You know, and I think it's about parents and carers understanding as well that some young people are finding school really difficult. They're not being lazy or they're not being, you know, difficult around school. They're actually genuinely finding it challenging. Um, and sometimes when you have a conversation about I'm not feeling great, that's when these things come up. And I think it's just allowing that space. You know, we always talk about opening up that conversation because that's that's what's really important. Um so, yeah, it's just not one shoe fits all. And I think it's really important that we remember that. It's absolutely fascinating to talk to, to you all today. Thank you so much for being with us and for your insights and your experience, which I think a lot of people listening to, whether it's parents or teachers or whoever is um, here with us on this podcast, will we'll find really helpful and will be able to relate to it in some way. And I think it's always helpful just to, to sort of remind ourselves some of the um, brilliant points that were made by our guests today. What have we learned from, from this particular conversation? I mean, first of all, through Dexter's experience, you can make decisions that don't turn out to be the right ones for you, and that's okay. Uh, you know, life can sort of take a different course as long as you recognise, are you happy? Are you fulfilled? How is your mental health? And, and if that's not going right for you, then, then consider what it is you're doing. And I thought you made a really good point, Dexter. Don't worry about other people's perceptions, what they think of a certain job or career or trainee scheme, how they value it. It's about you and how you feel in that. Have curiosity, as Ender says. If you're finding it difficult to work out what to do next, curiosity, um, turn up the inner coach. Um, Prue was talking about reflections. When you face disappointment, what did I do well? What could I have done better? Having time and space uh, to do that. Um, also, consider the organisation, as Dexter said. You're not necessarily choosing a role or career or even a subject. Consider the organisations you might want to work for. And therefore, how would you sort of find a space within those for, for you as the student or trainee or whatever it might be? And, and use your friends. I'm going to end on that one because I think it's such a useful and accessible bit of advice for, for everyone um, at home. So if you find yourself living with a teenager who is struggling a bit or finding the whole process of working out what to do next challenging i hope our conversation today will have helped in some way as always we're keen to feature parents in this series so if you want to get involved or have any questions you want us to answer uh, then you can find amazing apprenticeships on social media that's at amazing apps uk or not going to uni which is at not going to uni and you can use the hashtag parent perspective Speak to you next time.